0: Hebrews chapter 6, and let's begin in verse number 12, and we'll read down several verses here. It says, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, that phrase there, who through faith and patience inherit the promises, is the is the key to the passage, that is the theme of the of the uh, paragraph here. Verse 13, For when God made promises to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after that he had patiently endured, Abraham patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men uh, uh, verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all str- uh, strife. "...wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which uh, hope we have an assurance of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil." Uh, Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, uh, the title again of the Bible study we began last week, we'll finish up this week, patiently inheriting the promises, patiently inheriting the promises. Let's pray. Lord, we ask tonight you'd help us to uh, be able to really understand this passage and give us an understanding that goes well below the surface and then challenges us, Lord, as it did last week to lock eyes on what it is you have in store for us and to pursue it with all of our heart. And so be with us as we go over this tonight and encourage us with it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Y'all don't mind scooting up, do you? Y'all don't mind coming forward a little bit, do you? I appreciate that. All right. Can't let you guys be the exception of the rule. Everyone's got to move forward. Okay. All right. Um, So, um, patiently inheriting the promises. Go back with me to Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 1, and let's quickly review so that we're all on the same page. It says there, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, the next phrase, let us go on unto perfection. Now, if you're new to the Bible or uh, maybe even been in the Bible a long time and never really studied out the word perfection, that can be a discouraging word. It can be discouraging to think that God's expectation of us is that we're perfect. Uh, I don't know anyone that's perfect. I've never met anyone that's perfect. Uh, My wife is pretty close to it, but my wife is home sick with a cold tonight. And so even she isn't perfect because she has a cold. So, um, but no one is perfect. And so when the Bible tells us to be perfect, as it does several times, it's almost as though God is asking us to do something that cannot be done. But until you understand what the word perfect means, and the word perfect just means to be mature, to be mature. And and the word mature means that you are uh, to be where it is you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Uh, You are to behave according to the environment. And so that's very important that we understand that, that we get that down. And so that maturity, that knowing how to behave in in a given environment um, uh, it's okay for me to wear basketball shorts when I'm going to play basketball. Uh, several years ago, I was invited to go to a dinner in Washington, D.C. It was a banquet in Washington, D.C., where um, Hispanic Christians—I was a Spanish pastor at the time— Hispanic Christians were going to be spoken to by several Hispanic-speaking members of Congress— and so it was a fancy, fancy, fancy ball in an upscale Washington, D.C. hotel right off the mall there. Uh, and so uh, I did not go in basketball shorts. I went in the nicest suit I owned, and I took it and had it pressed and cleaned before that, and uh, I had my shirt with so much starch on it, it could almost stand up by itself. And I went and bought a new tie and got my shoes professionally shined. And uh, maturity. Maturity is knowing how to behave in a given environment. Uh, however, if I showed up in a basketball court in a suit and tie and shoes, that wouldn't be mature either. So, uh, Christian, God has called you to maturity. He's called you to advance on and advance forward. And. In the things of Christ. So, this chapter, chapter 6, is an encouragement toward spiritual maturity. And uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but how tragic it is when a baby doesn't develop, when a baby doesn't come along. Um, I would hold my daughter and I would say to her, I hope you never grow up. I didn't mean it. I really didn't mean it. I wanted her to grow up. And had there not been motor skills being developed, then uh, we would have taken her to the doctor and been very concerned. And um, uh, there are a lot of Christians who lack basic Christian motor skills. They they still get tripped up on passages in the Bible that shouldn't. They really aren't that advanced. And their behavior is erratic and inconsistent at best. And uh, they're not faithful to church. They're in for a while. They're out for a while. They're... Uh, behavior with their spouses is, is on and off and on and off, and uh, there's um, just a lack of Christian maturity there. And so this chapter is written to teach us to be mature. Now, you're plugging along in the Christian life, and you're doing all the things that you know you're supposed to do, and what happens is we grow weary in well-doing. Galatians 6, nine says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season ye shall reap if ye faint not. And what, why does God have him, Paul, write that in the Bible? Be not weary in well-doing. How many of you have ever been plugging away at Christian ministry, or just plugging away at being a Christian, and you got really wore out in the process? Okay, my hand's up. I've been there. All right, you've been there? And you, you're, you're not just tired like you need to take a nap or you need to go to bed. You're tired on a level where you just your shoulders are stooping, there's a cloud over your head, and you just wonder if you should just keep on going at all. You know what I'm talking about? Should I continue in this ministry? Should I continue with really being a committed husband or wife? Should I continue with uh, uh, serving the Lord or being a... Uh, a, a Sunday school teacher or a bus captain or a work in the nursery or playing the piano or working in the sound booth or um, a pastor or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, whatever it would be, should I really continue going to church? And, and uh, you know, I'm just not really seeing the results that I want. And uh, uh, we're told here in verse 12, look back at verse 12, that ye be not slothful but followers of them who through faith and patience, look at those last three three words, inherit the promises, through faith and patience inherit the promises. So last week we began by looking at number one, our spiritual direction, our spiritual direction. And uh, Paul says in verse uh, 10, he says, for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, that ye have ministered to the saints and do Minister. We looked at letter A. Our ministries, and we talked about the importance of having ministered in the past and having that track record of having done ministry and uh, serving others and being a servant to others. You should be able to look over your shoulder and you should be able to see that you are consistent and faithful in doing the work of the Lord and doing it out of a labor of love. And you ought to also be able to not just look over your shoulder and see what you did do. You ought to be able to look where you are now and see what you are doing what you are doing. Now, let me classify our work for the Lord. There's what we do outside of church in the program of the church, and there's what we do within the program of the church. And a lot of people will say, well, uh, I am uh, a servant at home, and I love my spouse, and I'm taking care of my kids, and, you know, I'm a good employee at my job, and uh, I have a servant's attitude in those roles, and so surely God understands I'm in a season of life right now where I can't be a servant at the church. And then there are those that have it out of balance the other Well, I'm, I'm busy, you know, being a deacon, and I'm busy teaching a Sunday school class, or I'm busy cleaning the building, and, you know, I'm, I'm busy uh, uh, at the church all the time. It's go, 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 and you're neglecting your family. You're a servant at church, you're minister at church, but you're not a minister at home. And uh, the Bible wants you to be a minister at both. He gave you spiritual gifts to further the work of the church. The church is his calling. And so there's what you did, and there's what you're doing, and there's why you're doing it. Look back at verse number 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget what? Your work, that's what you do, and your labor of love, that's why you do it. If you're doing the work of the Lord with the wrong motive, you will eventually burn yourself out and you will quit. Let me say that again. If you're doing the work of the Lord for the wrong motive or the wrong reasons, you will eventually burn yourself out and quit. You must not do it as eye service or as men pleasers. But you must do it... Unto the Lord. You're not doing it so Pastor Lejeune will pat you on the back or one of our deacons will pat you on the back. Or even some bus kid or some uh, a child or some Sunday school attendee will pat you on the back and say, Oh man, you are the best teacher. You are the most loving uh, you're, 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 you're wonderful. No, no, no. You're not doing it to please someone here. You're doing it to please the Lord. He's the one that will reward you. So you're doing it out of a labor of love. You're doing it because you love the Lord, and you're doing it because you love others. And we looked at letter B, God's memory. God's memory. Look back at verse 10. For God is not unrighteous. To forget your work. God is not unrighteous to forget. I asked this question last week in the message. I said, how many of you here have ever gone out of your way and done something really, really great for somebody? And they enjoyed it and they took advantage of your kind deed, but they never acknowledged you. A bunch of you raised your hand. Well, a bunch of people raised their hand. Uh, some of you weren't here last week, so you didn't raise your hand last week, all right? So let me ask the a question tonight. How many of you here have ever done something really, really kind for someone? You went way out of your way, you either spent time or money or both, and you, you did something really kind for someone, and they enjoyed what you did, they took advantage of what you did, but they never acknowledged you in your doing it, or maybe did not acknowledge you adequately enough in doing it. If that's ever happened to you, would you just raise your hand for me? Has that, if you're married, you probably could raise your hand. Right? Because we've all probably done it to each other in marriage, right? Um, uh, Jake's like the perfect husband, so I doubt he's ever done that to Rose. But uh, anyway, um, Rose, on the other hand, she's not here, so I can really pick on her tonight. Rose, if you're watching at home, just just settle down. All right. Um, but um, uh, God does not forget that that bus kid 20 years ago that you brought into church on a bus or a church van, and they got saved. Because of the extra time you took out to go and run the bus and, and then stay out a little bit longer. That addict that you picked up on the side of the road and you fed McDonald's and you gave the gospel to. Well, God will have to forgive you for the McDonald's part. But the rest of it, you know, you're, you're, you're doing that and, and you think nobody knows and nobody saw it. And God's not unrighteous to forget. His memory is impeccable. If you did the work of the Lord and you did it with the right motive, there will come a day in heaven where you're rewarded uh, for that. So we talked about our spiritual direction. Paul says in verse 9, uh, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. He's saying you're heading in the right direction. Number two, we looked at our spiritual diligence, our spiritual diligence. And uh, we looked at letter A, our Perseverance. And then we stopped with letter B. Our perseverance. Look at verse uh, number 11. It says, And we desire that every one of you uh, do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. What does that mean? To the full assurance of hope unto the end. That means that you just keep on going and you don't quit. That you persevere to the end. That you lock your eyes... On Jesus at the finish line, and you pace yourself, but you run the race, and you don't quit, and you don't go sit on the bench and say, I can't do it anymore. That you stay faithful to the faith. Faithful to the faith. Now, how do you pull that off? Well, verse 12 gives us the keys to finishing our race. That ye be not slothful. Why is it that some people do not persevere unto the end? Can I be honest? They're lazy. Or they're distracted. They're distracted. They're distracted by money, they're distracted by sin, they're distracted by things that are good but not the better, right? The, the enemy of the best is not generally the worst, but most oftentimes it is the good. We're chasing the good and we lose the best. And they, they get distracted and they, they veer off course and the next thing you know, they're not persevering into the end. They're not, there's not that hope into the end. They're slothful. Uh, verse 12. But uh, followers of them who through... What are those next three words? Faith and patience. We talked about faith and patience last week. What is faith? Faith is trust. Faith is trust. Faith is trusting God. It's putting my weight in God. What is patience? It's timing. It's timing. I think of a married couple that can't have a baby. They've been married for four, five, six, seven years and... God's just not giving them a baby. I know a lot of couples this way. My brother and his wife that live out in Chicago are this way. And they're approaching a point with her where she, uh, at least unless God does a miracle, she won't be able to have a baby. And they're heartbroken over that. And uh, uh, faith is, is trusting God and patience is waiting on God's timing. Now, we all could go around the room and we could all talk about some trouble or trial or hardship in our lives. Because I guarantee you, everybody here, everybody here has something in their life that is trying to pull them out of the race of the Christian life. We all have it. It it all takes a different shape or different form, but we all have it. Some of you, it's it's an over-the-top busy schedule. Some of you, it's a relationship where someone's just dogging you about your faith. Others of you, it's a sin habit that you can't kick and it's yanking on you and trying to pull you out of the race. Some of you, you're discouraged. Some of you are anxious, some of you are afraid, some of you, you're down all the time. And what look, we could, we could go and list all night long all of the things that it could be that's trying to pull you out of the race. And it may be something that's a problem that's directly from you. It could be something someone else is doing to you. But you know how it is that you're going to patiently endure to the end? It's going to be you trusting God and waiting on His timing. You must do that. That's where we left off last week. Letter B, we gave you the the header, but we didn't talk about it. I gave you some homework. How many of you did your homework? Anybody do their homework? Some of you don't even remember what the homework was. All right. Brother Jake did his homework. We're going to find out if he did his homework in a minute or not. Rose did Jake's homework for him. Okay. Uh, Letter B, God's promises. God's promises. I asked you last week to go home and study this out. And, and what promises that God has made to you has he already delivered on? And what promises that God has made to you through his word that he has yet to deliver on? Now, there are two types of promises in the Bible. There are unconditional promises, right? And then there are conditional promises. An unconditional promise is something God's just going to do because of who he is. And regardless of how well you behave or don't behave... God's just going to come through on it. Let me give you one. Let me give you an example of an unconditional promise. If you are a child of God, it is a guarantee that you are going to go to heaven. It doesn't matter what you do, what you say, where you go, how you behave, what horrible atrocities you get yourself involved in. Once you are saved, the scripture is very clear, you are always saved. That has nothing to do with you. That has everything to do with God's character, even when we don't have character. But the large majority of promises in the Bible are what we call conditional promises. That means, if you do this, then God will do this. If a call unto me and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things I'll knowest not. Guess what the condition in that verse is? I must call for him to answer. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Psalm thirty seven four. If I delight, he'll give me the desires. So these are conditional promises. Now, I found this fascinating. Um, According to someone who posted this online, and so if it's wrong, then I'll blame them, there are 5,467 promises in the Bible. 5,467 promises. That's a lot of promises. Many of these are conditional. Um, Somebody here tonight, raise your hand and tell me, what are some of your favorite promises? Jr. Yeah. So if you don't do those things, you're blessed. Right. You delight yourself in his law, you avoid those influences, and you'll be that tree planted by the river water. Right? You bring forth fruit in a season. Good. Someone else. Favorite? Okay, let me let me do this. I'm going to throw a a curveball at you, Brother Jake. A promise that God has already delivered on for you that's in the Bible that you can say, yep, God's already at some point in my life came through on that. Brother Jake. he's, he's, He's come through... He's, he's come through on it, but you haven't seen all the manifestation of that yet. There's still eternal life awaiting you. The promise that God has come through on for you. We don't focus on God's promises enough. And I'm trying to get you to do that right here. Jason? Yep, isn't that great? You go a long time and you don't walk with God and you turn back around and he's there waiting on you, isn't he? And he does it in love. He does it in love. No one likes to be spanked, right? Um, I've talked about this before, but my my daughter said to me when she was really little, Dad, when you do wrong, who spanks you? And I said, God does. (laughs) It hurts a lot more than yours does. But it's done out of love. Uh, what are a, some examples of promises that God has yet to deliver on for you or for us? Some promises God has yet to deliver on. Stephen? Yeah, absolutely. It's promised to us, isn't it? He had not come through on it yet. Anybody else? What's a promise that God has, has offered us that he's not yet come through on? There's a bunch of them. John? The crowns. 1 Corinthians 3: Our works are tried by fire, right? Comes out gold, silver, precious stone. Crown, f- five or six crowns are talked about in the Bible that will be given to us, right? Crown of righteousness, crown of martyrs, soldier's crown. There's all the crowns in the Bible there. Who else uh, has a promise that God has? Has uh, a, a hope? A promise that is a hope that we've not yet received. Jr. A pain-free body, heaven, right? Is heaven not a promise that we've been guaranteed? If, if heaven ceased to exist and we were just going to go and die, I'm, I'm just going to ask a blunt question. We were just we knew that heaven ceased to exist and we were just going to die and go into the ground. How many of you would stop coming to church? My hands up, y'all'd have to look for a new pastor. I'm just telling you, I wouldn't be here anymore. And one of your deacons just quit. Okay, um, uh, probably more would quit. If there was no heaven and we're just going to die and go to the ground, and god it was proved that God wasn't real, or God quit caring about us, then what would you come to church for? What would be the purpose of it? You can make some arguments about the civility of, of humanity, but all in all, I mean, that would mean the Bible isn't true. And if the Bible isn't true, what are we doing? God's promises. Now, there's a bunch of promises in the Bible that God just hasn't come through yet. There are times where I will labor for the Lord in an area, and I don't see the results that I would hope for. And I wonder, God, is it making a difference? Is it making a difference? When I was 13, I was made bus captain of the Decatur, Alabama bus route, and I was given a a, a retired missionary widow who was... Her and her husband had been missionaries to Japan, and she was back living in the States, in that area. And so on Saturday, she would drive me and my brother around, and we would visit the Decatur bus route. And, man, we worked that route, and uh, we were having a big day on the bus. We were giving away something big. And, and I had, like, 40 people promise me on Saturday, look me in the eye and say, I'm going to be there. Well, Sunday came around, and we had one rider get on the bus. One rider. And I'm 13, so, you know, I was less emotionally stable than I am now. It isn't saying much, but I was less emotionally safe. So I'm sitting. I'm literally sitting on the bus, 13 years old, and uh, this one child's on the bus, and I'm sitting behind the driver, and I'm crying my eyes out. And I got to church, and my dad passed me in the hallway, and he saw that I had been crying, and so he pulled me out of the teen class. He said, "What's going on?" And I told him, and and he said, he said, "Listen, that one rider needs you to be on your A game. Can't have you like that." You're going to have to pull yourself together and be a man. You need to man up a little bit. And I said, oh, yes, sir. All right. You know what? I had worked hard, and I didn't feel like I got back the return on my labor. But you know what? It wasn't about how many rode the bus that day, and it wasn't about the accolades and the praise I was going to get in church for how many people rode the bus. It was that God saw my labor on Saturday, and he's going to reward me for that. And that's where our attention needs to be, God's promises. Now, there there can be a time in our Christian life. Please listen to me tonight. There can be a time in our Christian's life, Christian life, where we are doing the work of the Lord and not seeing the results from that labor and we want to throw in the towel and quit. That could happen. That can happen. Where we don't feel as though God is coming through on his promises. You say, "Well, well, Pastor, was there anyone in the Bible that felt that way? Yes. Have you ever read through the psalm where David said, Hey, God, basically he was saying, Hey, God, wake up. How long are you going to have your back turned to me? How long are you going to neglect me? I'm calling out to you. When are you going to reward me? When are you going to punish my enemies? When are you going to reward me for my labor? And so we, we all can feel that way. Number three, notice the Lord's demonstration. The Lord's demonstration. So God says... God says to, uh, to, to, to the audience here, he says, listen, you need to patiently inherit the promises. Be patient about it. Faith and patience inherit the promises. He's going to say, now, let me give you an Old Testament example of someone who had to patiently await the promises. Letter A, notice Abraham's pact with God, Abraham's pact with God. Look at uh, verse 13. For when God made promises to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Well, what happened here? Well, back in Genesis, uh chapter 15 in verse 5, we read a story about how uh, uh uh Abraham had been told, you go and 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 and, and follow me to where I'm going to lead you. I'm going to give you and your wife a baby. And that was Genesis 12. Come Genesis chapter 15, several years have passed and still no baby. And Abraham and Sarah were beginning to waver a little bit in their faith toward God. And so God came down and said, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to swear by my own name. And so what did God do? He took animals and he divided them in half and he laid them aside a walkway and sent his spirit through that as though to say to Abraham, I'm making a pact with you. I'm making a promise to you that I will come through for you. And God, when He promises something, please understand, He always comes through on His promises. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. What? He shall direct thy paths. So I am guaranteed that if I trust the Lord with all my heart, I lean not into my own understanding and all my ways acknowledge him, I'm guaranteed that he's going to direct my paths. uh Romans 8:28. 28, uh, what, what's Romans 8:28 say? And we know that all things work together for the good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So if I love God and I'm doing what he's called me to my life, I know I have a guarantee from God all things are going to work together for the good. Now, I may not like it at a certain point along the journey, but I know God is going to come through. Why? Because God always keeps his word. Letter B, notice, Abraham's patience with God. Abraham's patience with God. Look back at Genesis, or rather Hebrews 6, uh, verse 13. For when God made promises to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had, look at these two words, patiently endured patiently endured. He patiently endured. Turn over to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to turn up the speed on this. So uh, we want to get through this tonight. Genesis chapter 12. And look at verse number 1. Everybody know where Genesis is? I don't have to tell you how to find that one, do I? Genesis chapter 12, look at verse number 1. It says, Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of the country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Turn over to chapter 13 and verse 14. Chapter 13, verse 14. Now remember that it may just take you a few moments to read from chapter 12, 1 to thirteen fourteen, but many years have passed between these passages. Thirteen fourteen. The Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and uh, look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that thou seest, to thee will I give it and uh, to thy seed forever. Okay? 15, verse 4 and 5. Chapter 15, verse 4 and 5. And behold, the Word of the Lord came unto him, saying, uh, "This shall not be thine heir." Speaking of Ishmael, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels, speaking of him and Sarah, uh, shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, "Look now toward heavens and tell the stars if thou be able to number them." And, and he said unto him, "So shall thy seed be." Do you get the sense that God is stringing Abraham along a little bit here? Chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 15. It would be all the way until Genesis chapter number 19 before God would give Abraham and Sarah this baby. They would go from being in their youth and prime of life to being 90 and I think, what, 99 before this baby would be born. They had to be patient in the process. As Americans, we don't know much about patience. We want things now. We want it right away. We want it when we order it. I don't want two-day shipping from Amazon Prime. I want one-day shipping. I want a drone to drop it off on my front door in a couple hours. And that's where this is heading. And we're getting less and less patience. And God said, look, if you want good things, they come to those who wait. Letter C, notice, Abraham's prosperity from God. Abraham's prosperity from God. Back in Hebrews chapter 6, the end of verse 15, it says, He obtained the promise. He obtained the promise. Turn over to Genesis chapter 21 and verse number 1. Genesis 21 and verse number 1 there. let go of my place in Genesis. It's going to take me a moment here. Genesis chapter 21 and verse 1. And the Lord said, and the Lord visited Sarah. I misspoke a moment ago. It was 21 she got the baby. So from 12 all the way to 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. I love this part in verse 2. At the set time. Remember we talked about patience, timing. The baby came when God's date on the calendar arrived. How many of you here have a digital calendar you keep? Anybody do a digital calendar? You all are old school. Paper calendar? Paper calendar. I'm having young people. TeAndre, do you even keep a calendar? Okay, so you're good. Okay, I was thinking, man, someone in here has to do... Okay, digital calendar, paper calendar. How many of you will pull back the calendar and write something down you're excited about way in the future? right, we'll tell my kids sometimes, hey, we're gonna, on, on my, on Thursday of this day, we're gonna drive to New Haven and we're gonna go to Chick-fil-A or Wallingford and go to Chick-fil-A. And you know, it's a trip, it's several hours and they'll try to push it up on the calendar. And they'll get impatient. And I do what every dad does, I look them in the eye and I say, if you ask me one more time, we're not going. How many of you have ever used that tactic before? And you know what? They stop asking. Okay? And, um, uh, God had the date circled on the calendar when this baby would be born. And Abraham and Sarah, they just had to wait it out. Please catch this tonight. God's timing is always best. It's easy to say amen to now, but wait till you're thrown in that spot where it's tough. Then it's not so easy. I remember one time being really anxious about something and really worried and all all, uh, uh, my spirit was all in a knot. And and my mom looked at me and said, just settle down. I was probably 20, 21. Just settle down, she said. God is never or God is not usually early, but he's always right on time. Why does God like to wait to the last minute on things? He likes to wait to the last minute because he's trying to test our faith. He's trying to test our faith. And you know what? Because Abraham waited... He was given that child. And you know what came from Isaac? The nation of Israel. From Isaac was born Jacob. And Jacob's name would be changed to Israel. And and so Abraham, because he was patient, he received the promise, uh, the Lord's demonstration. What's God trying to say here to us? He's trying to say, if I did it for Abraham, I will do it for you. If I came through for Abraham, I am not a respecter of persons. If you will be faithful to me the way Abraham was, then I will be faithful to you the way I was to Abraham. Number four. Lastly, notice the Lord's display. The Lord's display. Well, God's going to give us several examples here of how it is that he... uh, How we can inherit the promises. Notice letter A. He is our consolation. He is our consolation. Look at verse 16. Um, uh, For men verily swear by the greater in an oath... Uh, for confirmation is to them at end of all strife, wherein God, uh, willing more abundantly to show unto the heir of promise. Who are the heirs of promise? We are. We are the ones who are recipients of his promises. An heir is someone who is an inheritance coming to them. You saw the word inherit earlier uh, in verse 12. So we're his heirs of his promises. Look back at verse 17. Um, uh, is to show of the heirs of his promises the immutability or the uh, the fact that he doesn't change is he's immutable of his counsels uh, confirmed it by an you know, oath verse 18 chapter 6 that by two immutable or unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation. Strong consolation. What is a consolation? That word consolation means encouragement. You can put down in, uh, uh, write down next to consolation the word encouragement. The word exhort in the New Testament is translated from the same Greek word as consolation. The word encourage is translated, uh, sometimes that word translated encourage. Um, Luke chapter 2, we're not going to turn there because we're almost out of time. But Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we find Simeon and we find the word awaiting the consolation of God. What was Simeon waiting for in Luke 2? For the Christ child to be born. Letter B, notice, city of refuge. City of refuge. Look back at um, uh, verse number uh, 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 19 there. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Let me back up to eighteen. I skipped skipped what I'm looking for. The last half of 18 says, Who have fled for refuge to lay hold unto the hope set before us. Quickly, turn over to Numbers chapter 35. Numbers chapter 35. Now, the cities of refuge, um, I could do a whole Bible study just on this. The city of refuge, there were six, uh, excuse me, seven seven cities of refuge. I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering here. Six or seven. Somebody know for sure? If Mark Ginkowski was here, Mike Ginkowski here, you tell me. I think there were six. Numbers 35. All right, we can, uh, there, were, there were six or seven. We'll go with that, all right? You look it up later. I give you homework, but you're not going to do it, clearly. So, number, Numbers chapter 35, city of refuge. Six cities, six or seven cities of refuge, and here's how they worked. Okay, I'm going to speak quick, so listen quick. If you murdered someone on accident, we call that in our day and time manslaughter. If you were careless in your actions and someone died in your carelessness, you were not trying to kill them, hot blood or cold blood, it was an accidental murder, uh, here's how it worked. If you could make it to one of these strate- strate- strategically placed cities of refuge around Israel before the relative of the one you killed got to you, as long as you stayed inside that city, you were safe. If they got to you, before you got into the city, or you left the city for any reason, they had every right to avenge the blood of their loved one, and they could kill you. There are stories in the Bible of people who chased folks down and killed them as they were trying to make it into the city of refuge. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. In Numbers chapter 35, let's see here, look at verse 28. Because he should have remained in the city of his refuge until... The death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. So there was a high priest and uh, over Israel. And if you're listening, this is really neat. This is really, really, really neat. You had to stay in the city of refuge. If you committed manslaughter, you had to stay there. You were safe there. Once the high priest of the nation died, if he died in your lifetime then you were free to leave, and you were, again, protected by the law, and nobody could kill you. Now, who is our high priest? Who died on the cross for our sins? Our high priest has died. We are no longer under the bondage and curse of sin. Because he is our city of refuge. That is the display of how he's going to come through on his promises. Letter C, notice, anchor. Anchor. Go back to um, Hebrews chapter 6. Again, his display. His display uh, of, of, uh, of, of how he comes through for us. Look at verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into uh, into that within the veil. Now, um, picture ship on rough waters, and the storm is raging, and the waters are, are rough, and they're going to be thrown ashore and smashed on the rocks, and the captain gives the order to drop the anchor. The anchor, uh, that heavy anchor on the back of the boat, sinks down into the water, and it grabs hold of a rock, and guess what? No matter how bad the storm gets, that boat's not going anywhere. Right? Now you're out, you're on top of the water. You're doing the work of the Lord. You're being a minister for the Lord, patiently inheriting the promises. And here's life's sea just tossing you all about. Relationship struggles, work struggles, life problems, sin struggles. And, and you're wondering what is going on. And God says, I am the anchor of your soul. And I'm never going to let go of you. And you will one day receive the promises that I have promised you. Just You just have to endure the storm. Don't give up. Don't quit in the storm. Letter D, lastly, and I had written below that, um, uh, below letter C in my notes. I don't think it's in your notes. But in my notes, I put below anchor, sure, unmovable. Steadfast, certain. It's, it, it's a sure, sure and steadfast. That anchor isn't going anywhere. You can be certain of it. Letter D, forerunner, forerunner. I need to wrap this up. Look at verse number 20. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're being transitioned back into the, the talk of Jesus being a priest and a greater priest than the, the Levitical or Aaronic priesthood, uh, but I want, I want to pull, pull out something really awesome here. Jesus was our priest, right? Meaning, he brought the sacrifice for our sins, and he offered up himself. He was the priest offering up himself. What happened after Jesus rose from the dead? Well, he took his own blood, and he ran ahead of us to heaven, into the Holy of Holies, and he took his blood and he sprinkled it on the mercy seat. Now, I don't have time to get into what all this means. But what that basically means is that God enabled us to be able to enter into heaven. Prior to that being done, nobody could enter into heaven. No human could enter into heaven. Once that blood had been sprinkled on the mercy seat, God ran ahead of us and he opened up heaven for us to be able to go there when we die and spend eternity with him. So not only was he the high priest that died, that released us from that refuge, that need to be hidden in a refuge, he then rose from the dead, ran ahead of us to heaven, and finished the race. And he stands at the finish line, Christian, and he says, with, with, with no pierced hands, he says, keep on running, don't give up, don't quit, keep on running, patiently, uh, 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 you, you, will, uh, you will, with faith and patience, you will inherit the promise, and so... So that is how we mature in the Lord. You can't give up when life gets tough and go sit on the sidelines. You have to find your calling in life. Sometimes the speed at which we run changes. Sometimes our level of involvement ebbs and flows, depending on what we have going on in our life. But we must do the work of the Lord and we must persevere.